Hi folks, be sure to visit my website at dr-history.com for a short personal video message, to listen to the latest stories, and to leave a comment. Right now it's time for the one, the only, and boy are we happy about that, Dr. History. Good morning, Doctor. Good morning, Zeb. How you doing? I'm good, my friend. Boy, you look kind of spiffy over there with a new striped shirt on. Well, and... It's actually an old one, but... <laughs> I didn't want to mention that you had frayed collars and the holes at the elbow. Well, see, when I used to work, I sometimes would leave one of those uh, gel pins in my pocket. And when that goes to the washer and dryer, uh, yeah. Does your wife nag at you like mine does about, take things out of your pocket? No, she's very kind. She's very... uh, You're a coward. (laughs) You're right. (laughs) I know who cooks my dinner. (laughs) a boy. I know who used to. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. What are we going to talk about today? Well, before we start, I want to say hi to some people that have uh, written comments into the webpage. Karen, Alan, Jim, Marion, William, Michael, Kevin, Joseph. These are people that have taken the time to write comments into the to my web page, and I appreciate their really? input. Yeah, mm-hmm. some of them have mentioned things they would like to see on the program or hear about. And so, anyway, I want to thank those that have have taken time to do that. That's so, nice. Anyway, That's nice. so today, Zeb, uh, I needed to start out with a disclaimer. Uh oh, I don't okay? like those. Those with a somewhat of a weak stomach may not want to. Uh, well, are you going to do this to me again? <laughs> you did it last I, a couple of months I ago. I know, I know, and so, it's right before the lunch hour. Okay, and... okay. So I'm going to show you pictures, Ab. Oh, good. Okay, I can't hardly. Okay, now see this picture. That's a, you know a group of Indians. It looks like uh, some of the Nez Perce. Okay, they're not. They're not. But, okay. but I'm just going to tell you, if these people invite you to dinner, don't go. Why? Oh, I'll, I'll get to that. <laughs> I'll get to that. Hmm, there's, <laughs> now, a, there's a hook if I ever Oh, heard yeah, I, I got you now. you okay. you got to hear this. Right. Okay, the Tonkawa Indians. All right, that's who we're going to be talking about. Not Tonka Toy. No, Tonkawa. Okay. They were a small uh, tribe who once claimed part of southeastern Texas as their home. By 1862, their tiny population was erecting grass, thatched huts, and teepees along the high plateau, which overlooked the valley of the Washita River. Mm. And you've heard of the Washita. Yep, yep, yep. So, anyway, five years before, in 1857, the government gathered up the Tonkawa along with other small Texas tribes and moved them to the Wichita Reservation near Fort Cobb in Indian Territory, and that's in Oklahoma. Right. You've heard of Fort Cobb? I have. Okay. I have. Now, for several years, there was peace on this reservation on the Washita, but in the late night cold of October 22nd, 1862, that peace and tranquility was shattered. Uh Uh-oh, what happened? Well... For one tribe this night, the Tonkawas, what befell them uh, changed their already meager existence forever. And mm-hmm. that's what we're going to talk about. So on this night, an explosive attack was carried out by the other tribes on the reservation. Now, remember, as I said, they were on this reservation, but some other tribes as well. Oh, so they had a whole bunch Mixture. of people that didn't know each other well, on the same piece of land. They knew enough. Oh. <laughs> so anyway, it began at the agency, a small group of buildings, which included the commissary uh, store and main agency office. When the Indians finished, there were four white men, all All agency employees were dead, the buildings were plundered, and the agency burned to the ground. Hmm. Now, you know, we've heard of stories where 
the agencies are, are holding back food and clothing and stuff oh, yeah. for the Indians. Yeah, and, that happened to the Apaches. Yeah, a lot. Yeah. So anyway, the tragedy that took place at the agency was bad enough, uh, but was actually only a dress re- rehearsal for the slaughter that followed. Oh, my. Okay? Now, the attacking Indians numbered about 140 men made up of Shawnees, Delawares, Wichita's, Kickapoos, and a scattering of others, and they headed for the nearby Tonkawa camp. Now, the apparent main objective in this night of terror, all these tribes held the same grudge against the Tonkawas. So you had all these other tribes that didn't like the Tonkawas. What did they do wrong and, that everybody hated them? Oh, well, you're, <laughs> this is the part that... You, you keep hooking me on this. I know. I know. So uh, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. Uh, anyway, one group in the attacking force approached the Tonkawa camp from the rear, riding around the camp in, another, in a wide circle to avoid detection. Another group concealed itself in the timbered bottomlands below the camp, awaiting the right moment to spring on the Tonkawas. Okay, it was early morning when the attack commenced, and though the first streaks of daylight had not yet begun to spread over the Wichita Hills, the Tonkawa camp, now this was 360, 306 men, women, and children, and they were all asleep yeah. in, in their teepees. Yeah. Now, the surprise attack was not the only factor working against the Tonkawas. The attackers were mounted and armed with the newest rifles available. Uh, these which, are the Indians. Yeah, and these are the other tribes. Now, the Tonkawas, for the most part, had only the bow and arrows. So I'm thinking these other tribes may have stolen guns out of the agency uh, store or whatever. Anyway, under their chief, Placida, however, the Tonkawas quickly rallied to the defense of their camp. They displayed uh, stubborn resistance against the attacking force because they were able to put up such a strong stand despite their inferior defensive position. A number of the Tonka women and children were able to escape. So you can figure if 300 people... Maybe only a third had to be warriors, right? Yeah. If that many. Okay. So maybe 100 okay. against 140. Yeah. Anyway, uh, their fighting ability was not enough to prevent uh, 137 Tonkwas, almost half of their already uh, small population, from being killed. Mm. More than 100 of that number were women and children. Yeah. Uh, now, the attacking force lost 27 killed and wounded, uh, which was really actually a substantial number considering the competitive edge that they held. Yeah. But the loss sustained by the Tonkwas brought them closer to extinction, and it was a blow from which they would never recover. Now, here's what you asked. Okay. Why? Yeah. Why, when the American Indian had suffered so much at the hands of the white man, would Indian turn against Indian in such a terrible, would devastating you hurry way. up with your story? I'm, I'm wild with anticipation. I, I, I'm, I'm playing it out here, I Zeb. see you are. Yeah. Anyway, the answer never was given, but historians suggest two primary reasons. The first is because the Tonkawas had for several years prior to 1862 acted as scouts for the whites on expeditions against the other Indian tribes. Oh. So there's a pretty good factor right there. Yeah. The second reason, and this one is a little more unsettling, is that the Tonkawas were cannibals. What you, what you talking about, Willis? And we're going to get into that. That's they why were I said cannibals. I, they ate human beings. Oh, well, I'll get into a little more detail that you may not like. Maybe I don't want you to. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so there was a guy named Thomas Batty. He was a Quaker uh, Indian agent during this period, and uh, he thought the cause was this this. The cannibalism. He believed the Tonkawas had eaten a couple of Shawnee, and this was the revenge motive of the other Indians. But 
the appetite for human flesh did not belong exclusively to the Tonquists. Uh, for instance, Cheyenne Indians were able to remove certain uh, taboos by eating the heart of an enemy. Okay. For all of you, i got to have a disclaimer here. For all of you folks that are sponsors of this program that are in the food business, Just turn I'm sorry. <laughs> well, so here we go. The Kiowas, who were members of a secret brotherhood, were obligated to eat the heart of the first enemy they killed in battle. Oh, my gosh. And incidences of cannibalism among some tribes in Texas prompted missionaries to ask as the first question in confessions, Quote, have you eaten human flesh? And what do they say if they say not yet I don't today? Know. <laughs> not hungry yet. So anyway, if some of the cannibalism was practiced by other Indian tribes, why then were the Tonka was dealt with so such a severe thing? One reason is that the Tonka was were not secretive about their preoccupations of eating human flesh. Now they actually advertise well, it? they let it be known, you know, but the word cannibalism conjures up some bad feelings in people. I mean, think of the Donner party and a few other things you know it's just anyway, why am I sorry today's Tuesday? <laughs> we'll get through it Zab. hang in there anyway, but this strange and gruesome practice was not. Uh, detestable to the Tonkawa world. And it was not merely warriors who ate the heart of a slain enemy. In the Tonkawa tribe, everyone participated in eating enemies who fell into their hands. Are men, you talking about a smorgasbord? Men, women, and children. Oh! Come and eat. Uh, I told you. I told you when I started. Anyway, so some historians believed it was logical for the Tonkawa to eat human flesh given their beliefs about the spirit world. So, Supposedly, there's some kind of a spiritual realm, okay? So by consuming parts of an enemy's body, the cannibal could acquire either some or all of the enemy's power, courage, or fighting ability. You realize, of course, I'm going to remain quiet for the rest of the program. <laughs> That's your only safe out right now, Zeb. <laughs> only safety. Well, anyway, to a greater degree, the eating of more than only the enemy's heart was thought to be completely... Uh, would to completely destroy the soul of that enemy, thereby by giving the Tonkawa the greatest victory he could achieve. So, in other words, they're eating them so their spirit or their soul or whatever is, I don't know, lost forever. Okay, Whatever the reasons, the Tonkawa cannibalism had a real and lasting effect on other Southern Plains tribes. Now, one man uh, who lived among the Texas tribes for some time, his name was James Mooney, he reported that he heard a number of gruesome tales of the Tonkawas. You're not going to quit, are you? Oh, no. <laughs> uh, i got too much time left here, Zeb. This country was built on a distinctly American work ethic. But today, work is in trouble. We've outsourced most of our manufacturing to other countries. And with that, we sent away good jobs and diminished our capability to make things. American Giant is a clothing company that's pushing back against this tide. They make a variety of high-quality clothing and activewear, like sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more. All made right here in the USA, from growing the cotton and adding the final touches. So when you buy American Giant, you create jobs for seamsters, cutters, and factory workers in towns and cities across the United States. And it's about more than an income. Jobs bring pride purpose they stitch people together if all that sounds good to you visit american-giant.com and get 20 percent off your first order when you use code staple 20 at checkout that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com with promo code staple 20 
So their cannibalism was not reserved for war prisoners. It was not unlike the Tonkawas to ambush lone Indians from other tribes who might be unlucky enough to wander their way. Couldn't they have grown potatoes? (laughs) Not the same. Anyway, this Mooney goes on. He says, more than one missing person was thus traced to the Tonkawa camp where all clues abruptly ended. Okay, we're not done. You know, I I had a bunch of snide comments to make, but I can't 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 even even make them. them. (laughs) Okay, so the Tonkawas did not discriminate when it came to choosing their dinner. Although it has been reported that they feasted more on Comanches, uh, this is probably because Comanche Indians were more numerous in the area and because there existed a deep hatred between the Tonkawa and Comanche, and the Tonkawas often helped the whites in tracking down hostile Comanches. Okay. Oh, All right. My. Now, here we go. Here's another guy, Noah Southwick, a Texas Ranger. Yeah. He witnessed a Tonkawa feast on a Comanche Indian. After killing the, 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 the captive, a big wash kettle into which they put the Comanche meat together with a lot of corn and potatoes. And he quotes as saying, the most revolting mass my eyes ever rested on. He was you're there. Spe- you're speechless, Evan. So I, I got to admit, this I own this program, and I don't want to say anything. <laughs> okay, well, I'm not done. <laughs> so when the stew, quote, the stew, was sufficiently cooked and cooled to allow of its being ladled out with the hands, the whole tribe gathered around, dipping it up uh, with their hands and eating. Now, having gorged themselves on this delectable feast, they lay down and slept till night when the entertainment was concluded with what they called the scalp dance. The what? Scalp dance. Scalp dance. Dance. Why do I not want you to pursue this? We'll leave that one. Okay. Okay. So, now, one early Texas pioneer, a guy named John H. Jenkins, he experienced Tonkawa cannibalism. He describes how the Tonkawa persuaded him to show them the body of a Waco warrior that he had shot. Now, Jenkins described how when they discovered the body, they seemed really excited, really happy, delighted. Well, they cooked and ate this guy that that Jenkins had shot. Now, Mooney also tells about a Comanche boy captured by a Lipan Apache Indian. Well, one day the boy disappeared after having been reported seen near a Tonkawa camp. So, when you went out for a walk... You're on your own. When you went out for a walk, do not go near the Tonkawa village. Holy smokes. Now, even after the massacre of the Tonkawa that I mentioned at the beginning in 1862, there were reported incidents of their eating human flesh. As late as 1874, Comanches complained that Tonkawa scouts for the United States Army had been found eating dead Comanches. And several years later, a Tonkawa informant told that... Uh, human flesh tastes like bear meat. I don't, you know. Okay, let, let me just finish. The end. Let, we let, had uh, plans for lunch. <laughs> you want to make that tomorrow? <laughs> anyway, some historians believe that animosity toward the Tonkawas caused that tribe to retaliate by acting as scouts and guides for the whites. And for self-protection, the Tonkawas became allies of the United States Army. 
and others believe that the animosity resulted from the expeditions that Tonka was led. And anyway, whatever the sequence may be, it is clear that cannibalism was not the only reason other tribes tried to eliminate the Tonkawas. You know, now this is a question that I think I have a right to ask, okay. but how did any tribe or any group of people ever resort to that cannibalism at first anyway? I mean, what possessed I, them to do this? You know what? I, I'm just going to take God on a limb. I think it's because of uh, famines when uh, there was no food available. And oh I think maybe they, that may have been the start. So, oh but anyway, from 1856 through the summer of 1860, the Tonkwas helped the United States Army and the Texas Rangers in expeditions against the Comanche and other hostile tribes. And in December of 1857, about 20 Tonkwas accompanied the 7th Infantry through an area of Texas occupied by the Kickapoos. Now, the following year, Tonkwa Chief Placido led a led a hundred warriors as scouts against Comanches on the Canadian frontier, on the river. And the Comanches, led by a guy named Iron Jacket, were defeated in an attack led by the Tonkawas. So the Tonkawas were doing a lot of help for the U.S. military against these other tribes. So it wasn't just the eating. Well, didn't the military, our military, have any idea what kind of bad dudes these were? Well, they were helping them. So... Yeah. Anyway, in the summer of 1860, Tonkawa scouts accompanied Texas Rangers in an attack on a Comanche and Kiowa camp on the Canadian River in the Indian Territory Panhandle. According to Texas Ranger James Pike, who took part in that attack, when the fighting was over, the Tonkawa commenced roasting and eating some of the dead Comanche. Oh, boy. There you go again. We're almost done, Zeb. Another another minute. Okay. Anyway, after the Civil War broke out, the white man whom the Tonkawa had served so loyally became too involved in their own problems to worry about their uh, Tonkawa allies. Why so, couldn't somebody just get them a gift card to uh, <laughs> uh, some country kitchen someplace? Yeah. But, you know, the white man's protection was gone now, and the way was open for this massacre that happened with the Tonkawas. So by the 1870s, the Tonkawas had become just a shadow of what was once a tribe of, of some consequence in Texas. By 1944... 1944? Way later, only 56 Tonkawas remained, and it was a tribe which had the distinction of being the last cannibals in the United States. You've got to be kidding me. Now... Again, you you think about again. I show you this picture. Those are if, the Tonkawas, and and these are some Tonkawas. If they invite you to dinner, just don't go. That one guy is very very yeah. heavy. Well, this guy is the chief and his wife, and he ain't no small dude. No, and she is not very petite. <laughs> well fed, but you know, remember the old story of Jeremiah Johnson? Yeah, you know the movie by Robert yeah, Redford. Yeah, Actually, yeah. his real name was John Johnson. Yeah, and uh, you know what he did after he uh, the they sent the individual you crow warriors. You're probably getting a lot of cancellations on my <laughs> schedule of advertisers. Oh, t- Jeremiah Johnson, John Johnson. And yeah. the name of the book is Liver Eaten Johnson. Liver Eaten Johnson. Let me ask you though: when you hear stories like this and you pursue supposedly the facts, how much of what's written do you take as maybe being distorted a little bit, and how much do you really kind of solidify as being a fact? You know, these old old magazines that I, that I get. This one is True West from 1984. 
And that's uh, only forty years, basically after the Tonkawas were you yeah. mentioned just a little bit ago. But it's uh, also this is by a, a guy named Richard uh, Stickin, and it says photos, photos courtesy of the Smithsonian Institute and the National Anthropological Archives. So I. I give this a pretty good credence as well, far as reliability. Said, I want to go back to 1944. You said that what was in 1944? There was only 44 of okay, them Okay, but left. now 1944, that's only three years before I was born. Yeah. And I'm sure that they had a lot of uh, history and perhaps at that time, because of the education, et cetera, were writing about some of their grandfathers and even their parents. Right. So this could be, like say, a, a second-generation storytelling that's been researched. Because it hadn't been that long that they were living among it. Wow. And obviously there's got to be great-grandkids in that group that are still living. And they're still Tonkawas. There has yeah. to be. The, yeah. And uh, that's something I ought to look up and see if they're, what there is. You better left. check your neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> if they look, Hi, Dr. Turner. You want to come over to eat tonight? <laughs> don't go. Don't go to, the, don't go to the, the barbecue. Oh, yeah, the barbecue is a good way to put it. You know, but really there still would be in 1944. Sure. I mean, certainly there's going to be relatives. Well, look at all the the others, the Shoshones, the Blackfeet, the Apache, the Cherokee. There's, there's uh, reservations still all over the country with their descendants. So I'm going to guess that, and I'm going to, I'm going to, that makes me curious. I want to see what I can find about the Tonkawas now. I suppose you're going to say if you find one that lives in this area, you're going to invite him over to be on the program. I'm going to invite him to your place. I doubt seriously. Thanksgiving dinner. The door and the key will be lost. <laughs> Thanksgiving, Zeb. No, you, seriously, but there would be. There's, uh, there's sure. got to be some left. Yeah. You I'm ought sure. to do a little bit of checking on that. I will, because uh, with that many still in 1944, there's got to be some descendants. That's a gruesome story. I know, and I looked at that and I thought, should I or shouldn't I? And I thought, you know, gruesome one over shouldn't it? Did it did? I I thought, you know, I've been saving this for just the right moment, and this was it. I feel so honored. (laughs) You're so lucky. (laughs) I'm such a lucky guy. Uh, Next week, can we maybe tone it down down a little bit? I think that could be a possibility. You think so? Maybe we'll get something really nice. Can we talk about going fishing on a pond in Kansas or something? Or a good bank robbery or something. There you go. Let's go to a good old bank robbery. (laughs) All right. Holy buckets. Dr. History brought to you by, for maybe the last time, A Child's World and also Ambulatory Surgery Center. Thank you very much for your involvement and a thanks to Dr. History history.